Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. And, and uh, we know that we're thinking about you today. Uh, let's celebrate the kids who are leaving. Have fun, kids. God, would you use this moment, Lord, would you speak through your word, Father, would you continue to, uh, to guide and instruct and direct us, Father, uh, organize and, and align our steps, Lord, that we would be uh, right in the center of your will. And as we take a look at this familiar passage again, Father, as we, as we explore what does it mean to be the older brother, Father, I ask that you would help us to see uh, with new eyes, uh, this may be how this, this parable um, speaks about the patterns of our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, while you're turning with me to Luke chapter 15, I want to say hello and welcome to anybody who's visiting with us. I'm glad you're with us. I'd love to spend some time with you after the service in a room that's filled with my pictures. Uh, thank you to uh, Lady Lori and everyone who helped to organize that. All the photos out there. I'm excited to just go out there and look at all those pictures and, uh, and enjoy that. There's one, um, one really special picture out there by the light switches that has uh, the, the pre-haircut Tommy, the pre-haircut Tommy. And so you're going to want to find that picture and enjoy that. You know, there's a memory there to be had with that. Um, I also want to say uh, just, just thank you, church. Michelle and I feel, we feel honored. We feel very cared for, um, very, very, very supported in the midst of 10 years of, of, of good and faithful ministry. And uh, God has been good to us and faithful to us in the midst of whatever it was that we, uh, that we brought and offered here. And so I, I do pray that, um, that you have experienced some of our best, and I pray that you will continue to. Um, I noticed that, that when Pastor, no, when, uh, well, somebody got up first, and I oh, know it was Pastor Charlie on the screen when he said, just one thing I want from you, and then he listed like 10 things that he thought we should be doing next. Um, and then he, then he mentioned, you know, doing another bit. That was nice. That was nice. You know, it was good. You know, another 10 years. That's great. I noticed that when Pastor Crawford was praying for us during the prayer, uh, prayer over us, he ended by saying, you know, just a little bit more time. Just a little bit more time. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't define it as 10 years. He left a little, left, left a little room in there, right? Maybe go longer. Maybe. Okay, go longer. I didn't know where you are going. I didn't know if you were trying to wish me out or wish me in, you know. Luke chapter 15, um, this is the second of three times that we will read this passage together um, as we preach through this story. So join with me, Luke chapter 15, in the 11th verse, you'll find Jesus speaking in the form of a parable. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off on a distant country to, for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, if I've sinned against heaven and against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best, ro- bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For, his, for this son of mine was dead and is, is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat. So how could I celebrate with my friends? But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you were always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Jesus, would you take these words and use them? Would you allow your parable story to instruct, to guide the steps that we'll take going forward? Would you allow us to see just how it is that we may be the older brother? In Jesus' name, amen. If you're like me, you've probably read through this story or heard this story a number of times. And every time you've read it or heard it or been challenged by it, you've thought to yourself, hmm, older brother, younger brother, father story. And you've wondered where you fit in that story. And maybe if you're even a little bit more like me, there's been times where you've recognized that you are the younger brother who's run off. And you've been wandering around in the wilderness and the craziness of life. And you've forgotten the ways of the Father. And only to to finally realize, you know, like this is not where I belong. And then you've migrated or found your way back to a place that you might call normal and normalcy again. And then maybe there's some other times where you said, you know, like you've looked and you've watched other people wander away. You've crossed your arms and said, I cannot believe that they would do such a thing. 
maybe as a, a follower of Jesus, and may, you know, maybe early on in your, in your early days with Jesus or later on in your more mature days with Jesus, you found yourself indignant about the way that we as Jesus followers should live. And when you saw someone else who was a Jesus follower, who wasn't living in the Jesus follower kind of way, you wagged your finger like the Kembe Mutombo back in the day, right? Maybe you've even found yourself frustrated with God. God, why would you bless them when I have been so faithful to do this? And you began to compare what you were receiving and what you were offering versus what someone else was receiving and what they were offering. And you, you, you became like embittered with this, this comparison game of, of how God might be showing favor and blessing someone else and feeling like in some kind of way you were, you were smited or you were considered lesser of because you hadn't received the same quantity of blessing or the same sense of favor from God. Now, am I only preaching to myself or can you join me in this story? Come on, can somebody join me in this story? Anybody out there? If you can't join me in the story, that's okay. Next week, we're going to talk about the Father's heart. And we're going to talk about the view of this story from the Father. And so if you can't join me in being one of the brothers, maybe next week you can identify with the heart of the Father. But today, I want to talk about the older brother. And I want to really think about a couple of points that we find through this story. And so the first thing I just want us to look at as we, re as we reflect back on this story is what's our motivation? What's our motivation for our Christian walk, for the way in which we're living? And, and as we begin to examine that, as we begin to think about, like, why is it that I'm doing what I'm doing? Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Ray, like, what exactly are you talking about? And that's my point. I'm talking about all of it. I'm talking about actually doing the work of saying, hey, I want to look inwardly and then from an inner perspective of what is going on in my life, I want to explore why it is these things happen. I want to explore why it is I gravitate in this direction. I want to explore why, I, why, why do I worship like this. I want to I explore why do I continue to show up. I want to I know what is my motivation, what is, what is my drive for this. And if you want to understand why I say that, it's this. I think one of the very first points we see as we look at the older brother is that our motivation for serving has to be examined and it needs to be pure. Our motivation for, now you can replace the word serving with something else that fits within your Christian perspective, right? It could be our motivation for showing up to church. It could be our motivation for neighboring. It could be our motivation for, for, for uh, diligent uh, effort. It could be our motivation for, for study of the word, like taking your steps forward in your faith. Our motivation, the drive behind that, behind that has to be explored. You see, there were times in scripture where the church, you know, before the church, before it was called the church, where, where the people of God and then at, at New Testament when we're, when we're identified as the church all the way through, there's been times in Scripture where the church was doing the right thing but for all the wrong reasons. And God, through his word, has said, you know what, I'm glad you're doing the right thing, but I'm not so glad for the reason why you're doing it. Matter of fact, look with me in the book of James in the first chapter. The book of James in the first chapter, you're going to need to, if you have a Bible, you're going to need to look because we're going to end on that verse, but I'm going to start before that, and it's not going to be up there. James chapter 1, starting in the 19th verse. When you have it, let me hear, let me hear a couple people say amen. Okay, I got a couple in the front. Anybody in the back turning there? All right, I see one in the back. She's waving. She's not going to speak, but she's waving. That's, I'll take it. 
I'll take it. All right, here it is. James chapter 1 and the 19th verse. This is what it says. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be, oh, this list is good. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let me, let me say that again. Human anger does not produce what? The righteousness that who? That God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that's been planted in you which can indeed save you. James, as he's writing, he's, he's given some instruction to how our feet might begin to work, the path that we might begin to walk, the way we might begin to speak, the things we might begin to do with our hands. And he says that these are steps that we should take. Why? Because these are righteous and they produce what God desires. But our natural behavior, our human behavior, and especially when it comes to our temptation to, to, to respond out of anger, that doesn't produce what God desires. So James says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Carve these things out of your life. But then he says this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't listen as if that's enough, but actually put into practice what the Word of God says to us. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do it is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, They will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious. I'm going to pause here. And I want to give us a couple of other words to help us fill in. Because some of us might immediately say, I don't don't really think of myself as religious. Religious kind of has this connotation to it, right? Like, Ah, those uppity folks. I'm not a religious folk. I'm just a, you know, like, uh, I'm I'm salt-of-the-earth Christian dude. Right? You're just kind of like, I'm not in that category. But I think when James was writing, I think he was Im- implying here that this would directly apply to all of us who would just say, those who think that we are set apart by God, we're chosen by God. We're in relationship with the living God. We're saved by grace. You can fill in whatever, what, wh- you know, whatever moniker you want to use that describes kind of where you're at, because what follows after it describes exactly uh, a word for us. So those who consider themselves Christ followers, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue, they deceive themselves. And their religion, their pursuit is worthless. So then he says this, verse 27, it'll show up right behind me. Then he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. In other words, what God really wants, the religion that God desires. Go and look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. 
James's charge to, the, to, the, to all of us, to the Christ followers, to the remnant of the church in that day that was going to birth the movement that, would be, that we would be extended into today. James's charge to you and me isn't that we would become more religious, isn't that we would be better, it's that we would begin to do the things of Christ. And in doing so, we would keep ourselves guarded from being polluted by the world. When we read this story, when Jesus is telling the, par- the, the parable about the prodigal son, and he begins to tell the story of the younger brother, and he describes the story of the younger brother who goes off, and he's wayward, and he you know, wastes everything that the father has given him, and he comes back, and he's like, Dad, I've messed up. And dad's like, come on, son, it's going to be okay. But then the older brother comes in and he's like, why in the world would we allow this to happen? Dad, are you crazy? Like, think about me. I've been here. I've been doing the right thing every day. I've shown up to the grind. Why is it that we're celebrating the wayward boy? kind of, I can hear James's words in response. That's good religion. You've shown up. You've been faithful. You've done the right thing. You know, way to go. Pat him on the back. Good job. But can we explore the heart for a minute? Look, can I ask you something? Why'd you come to church today? Please hear me. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. But did you show up to church because you said, I got this moral obligation in my life that I'm supposed to do it on Sunday mornings, and I get up, and this is just what I'm supposed to do, and you eat my breakfast, and you man, why can't church start at 11 instead of 1030? I got to get up and, you know. And if you did, let me, let me say this. I ain't judging you. I ain't judging you. I'll let you work that out with Jesus. But I, but I, but I want to get to this, right? Like, we can laugh about that. That's a, that's a fun one, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I am cranky in the morning. It doesn't matter what time church started. I'm just cranky in the morning, right? Wissa Hickens at 5.30 on Saturday night. It's going to be all right, <laughs> you know? But I actually believe that it's really easy to identify with the older brother. If we really explore this. Because I begrudgingly sometimes go through the motions that I know I'm supposed to do. But the question of where my heart sits in that, I think that's what James is speaking to. The prophet Jeremiah talked about it this way when speaking about the, you know, the, the depths of one's heart. Jeremiah chapter 17, starting in the seventh verse. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree that is planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It it, it has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Verse 9. But the heart is is deceitful above all things and beyond cure who could understand it 
I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Jeremiah points out that that God is the only one who can really explore the depths of our heart because the reality is this. Our hearts, no matter how pure we'd like them to be, they're seated in a dark place. Right? They, they, They are filled with the, as James would say, the pollution of the world. And so often needing to say, hey, God, here's my heart. Would you explore it? God, I'm going to do what is right because I know that I should. But would you you explore my motivation behind it? Let me say that again. I'm going to do what's right because I know that I should. But would you explore my motivation behind it? Right? Don't go out. Don't come out of church today being like, hey, I can wild out because Pastor Ray said that, you know, if I'm doing what's right and my motivation isn't right, then it's no good anyway. So I'm just going to go wild out and then ask Jesus to forgive me. I ain't saying that. Right? I'm, not, I'm not giving you no license to go be a fool, right? But, but I am saying while you're doing what's right, I believe that we're called in Scripture to explore our heart before God and say, God, is my heart pure? Is it right? Am I doing this because I desire to express my love for you? Or is, am I doing this because I know it's what's right and, by the way, it's going to make me look really good in front of some other people? Somebody out there? No? All right, well. I'm back in Luke chapter 15. I'm back in the parable. I hope you're back there with me. This is uh, where I'm picking up. The older brother, verse 28, the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So what happened? So the father comes out to him and begins to beg him and plead with him. But 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 the son answers the father and says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. All these years I've done what's right. Remember when your son ran out there? Was a crazy one? I stayed. You never gave me anything. But when this son of yours has squandered all of his property and he comes home, you give him everything. The second thing I want us to to hear in this story this morning is this. True believers celebrate when the lost are found. True believers celebrate when the lost are found. I remember in my early days as a youth pastor, um, in the very first church that I worked at, there was no youth group. They hired a youth pastor, and there was no youth group. And they just said, somehow, make it happen. And I didn't know anything different, right? Like, I was just like, oh, cool. Like, you're going to pay me to start a youth group. We're going to figure this out. And so, uh, you know, me and a couple friends just went knocking on doors and said, hey, we're going to start a youth group. You should come. And people showed up. Crazy enough, they showed up. But let me tell you something. When you just invite people who aren't from the church to show up at church things, you know what people who aren't from the church do? They act like people who aren't from the church. Come on, let me say that again so you understand. When you invite people who aren't from the church to show up at church things, you know what they do? They show up and they act like people who aren't from the church, right? They don't understand this church culture. They don't understand the church context. They don't understand that there's a certain way you sit and there's a certain way you stand and there's certain words you use and don't use, right? Just, just, just last week I was praying with somebody who's, who's a believer and they're pretty new in their faith. And as they were praying, they were saying some things to God that I was repenting on their behalf for. I was like, Lord, forgive them. 
right? They're just new in it, right? So this idea of like, hey, like God has a language he wants us to speak before him and it's one of reverence, that's, that's a little new to them, yeah? And so they haven't kind of tamed the tongue in that space, right? The heart was good. The heart was good. The tongue wasn't, right? And so like there's just a reality that, that sometimes, that sometimes we, 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 we have to recognize that true believers or growing believers or disciples, or maybe I would say it this way, the church, the church should celebrate when the wayward wander in. How are we doing with that, church? How are you doing with that? Come on, let me speak to those who have been here for a minute. How are you doing when some things and patterns that we had began to dissipate because we started inviting folks who weren't from the church into the church? Were you able to join in that celebration? Or was there a a, a spirit of like wrestle in you because you were losing hold of some things that you had held on to for a long time? I mean, think about it. The, the, The older brother... It is a pretty natural response, isn't it? When was the last time you, you said to someone or maybe even to God, this isn't fair? Anybody ever say that? Anybody ever say that? Come on, let me see a hand of somebody who said to someone or to God, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. I mean, that's all the brother's saying. He's like, dude, this ain't fair. What are you, crazy? Like, like, I did my part and I got nothing. He ain't do his part and he got everything. How's that work out? Right? Right? Now, look, we, we get it, right? Like, if you can't identify with that, if you've never done that, well, I, I'm glad. I'm glad the comparison game is awful and it's not healthy. But, but if you have, you are in good keeping. But let me, let me give you the illustration. Jesus is telling a, a number of parables. But do you remember that G, this parable follows Jesus' teaching just before that in the beginning of 15? And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with, with the things that were lost. Right? The lost coin, right? And, uh, and, and, and he ends his parable in the lost coin. In Luke 15, in the 10th verse, he says this. In the same way, I tell you this. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. If you don't know what that means, that means in the heavens. There's rejoicing in the heavenly places when what? When one sinner repents. When one, one who is lost is found, with one who is wayward comes home. The heavens erupt, right? The same way that y'all did when Pastor Charlie showed up on the screen and he did his hello and then he was like, oh, I guess I should say praise the Lord, everybody. Let's give Jesus a hand clap. And the whole church was like, well, the video said to clap. So we all clapped. We all, went, we all went crazy, right? Let me just tell you this. That fails in comparison to what happens in the heavens when one wayward person wanders home. When one lost person becomes found, when one ain't becomes a saint, right? When that happens, the heavens rejoice. Those who have gone before us, who sit in the heavenly places now, they rejoice. The party starts. The fattened calf is killed because the lost son has come home. But you and me, maybe at times we find ourselves frustrated instead of celebrating. Because maybe this makes my slice of the pie smaller. Or my pew is more crowded. Or my carpet's dirtier because more people walking on it. 
true believers celebrate when the lost are found. Can I ask you one more question about that before I move on? When was the last time you had a heavenly celebration? When was the last time you gave thanks because God moved, not in your life, in someone else's life? And you broke out your dance shoes, and you got your hanky and waved it around, and you ran through the space in your room and your living room and your dining room, through your house, on your street, whatever it was, not because God had done something that blessed you, but because someone who was headed to eternity away from God shifted. I want to charge you, join with the church, church here on earth and the church in the heavenly places that celebrates when the lost are found, when the wayward wander in. All right, last point from this morning from this passage. As we follow, as we are followers of Christ, the other is no longer a family, uh, no, no longer a foreigner. They become family. This is the real move. So as, G, as Jesus tells the parable, he emphatically points out that the older son does not describe the younger son as his Come on, y'all. Come on. Somebody get with me. I'm trying to finish up my preaching here. The older son does not describe the younger son as his. He doesn't. He doesn't call him his brother. He says, as this son of yours. He distanced himself from his own relationship, his kinship to his brother, right? Like, uh, he's no longer mine. He's not, he's not one of me. He's the, he, because his life is so different than mine, I, I forget him. He must be yours, Dad. Because he's not part of me. But actually, we see through the letters and the epistles in the New Testament that the lost, when they become found, they don't only become found, they become family. When the lost become found, they don't only become found, they become family. I would say the way we embody that here in the life of the church is when you show up the first time, you're a visitor. When you show up the second time, you're family. Right? And that's why if you don't show up a third time, I'm hounding you. I'm like, where are you at? Where are you at? It's good to see you back. It's good to see you back. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. Check it out with me in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read through a bunch of verses here in Ephesians chapter 2. But starting in verse 11, this is what it says. Paul says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in, in the body by the human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship in heaven in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. By which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you. 
who were far away. And peace to those who were near. Let me say that again. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. I'm in verse 19. I hope you're with me. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul is writing to the church and he says, church, you were once lost, but now you're found. And because you're found, you've been reconciled together. You've been claimed by God. And now we are kin. We are family. You are no longer foreigner. So let me say this way. The older brother has a problem. And the problem is that he believes that his way of living separates him from his own family and he doesn't recognize the work that God is doing as he draws his family back together. The older brother had a moment. He could have celebrated. Our brother is home. Yes, that boy was acting a fool, but God, you're cleaning him up. Something is changing. The atmosphere is moving. The ground is shifting. Something has moved in his life that is reconciling it back together. But sometimes I find myself unable to celebrate that blessing because I find myself affixed on what was missed or what I lost or what someone else might gain. I find myself offended that God would extend that amount of grace to someone else. God, my grace has run out. I gave him one, I gave him two, I gave him three, and just, just for the sake of it, I gave him a fourth try. But God, you still going with him? Church, the other cannot remain a foreigner if they're willing to follow Christ. No matter who it is, when we yield our space to the Lord, He scribes His name over ours. And that means that together, we become family. I want to charge you and me, church, the same way we're celebrating today the last 10 years. Let me, let me speak to that for a second. The same way we're celebrating the last 10 years that we've had together. I want to charge us. Let's, let's be for the other. Let's be for those who aren't here yet. Let's celebrate as God continues to allow people who are lost to find their way home. Let's celebrate when we see someone who once was wayward and separated from Christ and is now saying yes to the Lord. Let's celebrate when somebody comes in and they're, inqu they're inquiring and, and they're not even ready to say yes to Christ, but, but something is beginning to move in their life. Let's embrace. It'll cost us something. It's cost us a lot already. 
10 years ago, I was sitting with a group of people as I started to pastor here at the church, and we talked about becoming a church that was outward focused. And I will never forget to this day someone asking, how many flushes is that going to cost us? That was the question. What's going to happen to our water bill as more people start to come in the building? Friends, being a follower of Christ and seeking to be for the lost, it's going to cost all of us something. It costs us something regularly in terms of our own giving and our own supporting of the work of the church. It costs us something relationally and emotionally. The more people we have here, the harder it is to, to be deeply rooted with each one, right? So we, we begin to spread out that way. And it's also going to cost us something. What color do you want the carpet to be? Not red anymore? As we repaint the sanctuary, what color do you want that to be? As we think about new lights, how do you want them to hang? We all have opinions on these things, don't we? Well, Nancy does at least. Some of the rest of us do too, right? But here's the reality. If we're going to be for the other, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost my desires being yielded to God so that his desire can win. Friends, last week I asked you, are you the younger brother? Today I ask you, are you the older one? If you are, then let's create a moment here. Let's just create a moment. Hey, God, here's the truth. I've been with you. I've been moving in your direction. I've actually been doing the right things. And, yeah, I'm not sure that my heart has always been right and why I was doing the right thing, but that doesn't dismiss the fact that I've been doing the right thing. And so, God, I'm struggling as, as I see others launching taking off, receiving your blessing. And I've missed the moment to celebrate with you. You're not lamenting the fact that we've been doing the right thing. You're celebrating the fact that you've used us and others to do great things and you're continuing to do so. And you're celebrating when things that were lost or found, things that are broken or healed, things that are distant or drawn near, when foreigners become family. God, you're celebrating all those things. And I'm missing the chance to celebrate them with you because I'm so busy, stuck on being, uh, you know, kind of confident in my own doing the right thing. So here's our moment, God. God, enable me to continue to do the right thing. But give me eyes to see what you're doing. Give me a heart that is soft to your work. And give me, the, give me an ability to respond beyond my own in celebration of all that you have done. God, you prayed the heavens would come near. 
So God, if they'll celebrate in the heavens, there's something that's happening here on the earth. Let us join in. Give us a heart that desires to join in. Hmm. God, we confess that we haven't always, we confess together that right now, some of us are recognizing that we're the older son. In the same way that you welcomed the younger son home, let us not forget that you came out to draw the older son in. God, receive us again. Renew our joy, our zeal, our passion desire to be with you, our desire to join you in the work you're doing here, and our desire to welcome the younger son home. Lord, forgive us, and then reaffirm your call to send us out into the world. We honor you, God, in Jesus' name. As the worship team prepares to lead us in our last song, I want to take just a moment and say first, uh, thank you. Church, thank you. You know, watching that video and seeing all the folks from our story together, folks who have been a part of discipling Michelle and I for years and years and years, seeing people who believe in us from all over the country. It's something special to think about the ways in which God has webbed together this family of folks. I hope that you are encouraged knowing that there are pastors and leaders from around our city and around our nation that may not ever know you by name, but they're faithfully praying for you, faithfully joining in the great work that God is doing here in Roxboro from a distance. But I also want to say this, it ain't no fun pastoring a church if people don't show up. So I'm glad you're here. I am super glad you're here. There was a season, and albeit brief, there was a season at, that Michelle and I would walk over from the house to here on Sunday mornings, and we'd God, I just hope somebody shows up. I just hope somebody shows up. I hope somebody's there. And he was faithful. And while our door has constantly had people coming in and people going out, we just believe that for whatever season of time, the Lord... Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.